uh, I, I don't like religion. I just really don't. I'm not a religious person, and uh, I, I just love Jesus. And so some of the, these two things that we're going to do today, baptism and, and communion, are probably the closest thing, and I hate to even call it a ritual, let's call it a ceremony. Uh, it's probably the closest ceremonious thing that we do as, as Christians, okay? For the most part, we just have a, a relationship with Jesus uh, on a daily basis. God, God is not, let me say this right off the get-go, God is not the slightest bit interested in our rituals and our ceremonies, Okay? You can, you, can, you can have a ritual of reading your Bible every day, but that doesn't necessarily mean God's going to honor it if your heart's not in the right place, right? So uh, God's not the least bit concerned about the ritual. You know, some people get all caught up in how you baptize or how you do communion. That's not what God's worried about. He's worried about the condition of your heart when you do it, amen? And so we hope to lead you in that direction this morning. And so um, I'm not going to preach for a very long time because I, I want this to be uh, about I want the service to be about this and again I want Jesus to be the guest of honor I want him to be glorified uh, and I hope that we'll all have a, a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary but I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning about communion what it means and I'm not talking about the crackers and grape juice okay we're going to talk about that but the kind of communion I'm talking about is not just the ceremony of re-eating uh, crackers and drink, drinking juice. I want to talk about what communion really means, okay? Communion is, is literally, it's, it's a fellowship. It is communication, okay? If, if, if Ryan and I are having a conversation, we are having communion. We're communing with one another, okay? It, it, is, it is speaking uh, on more of an intimate level. So you can run into somebody at the grocery store that you kind of have an acquaintance you know you kind of know them enough to say hello and you say hi how are you I'm fine all the normal stuff hi how are you I'm fine how are you I'm doing good boy the weather's nice today yes it is uh boy it's cold yes it is and then we go about our way that's not necessarily communion that's just small talk okay communion is an intimate conversation somebody that you know well and then you sit down and, and you have a conversation because you know them and their life uh Ryan, how's Nash doing? How's, how's the new baby doing? You know what I mean? It's, you're, more, you're more intimate because you really, truly know one another on a deeper level. That's what real communion is. And so that's what God looks for from every mankind is not just to have a bunch of people go to church and go through religious motions. He's looking for people who will commune with him, that will get to know him on a deeper level and have those intimate conversations with God so we can I can lay down you know on my bed at night I can say now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep you know if I should die before I wake blah 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 and I can sit down before my meal and I can say God is good God is great now I thank you for my food amen and I, I can I can get into these you know religious routines and God says no no no, no. what I want to hear from you is when you sit down and you get quiet before me and you say to me God I need you today Lord I know that I can't face this day unless you give me the strength to do it Lord, I, I, I need your, Lord, I'm sorry for the way I sinned against you today. Lord, I, I had an opportunity, I failed in, in the way I spoke or the way I thought or the way, you know, the decisions I made. He just wants us to be real with him. So here's the thing, God is a real God. Amen? That's your deep theological truth for today. God is real. He really is real. He's not an ideal He's not just something that's been thought of in the minds of man. He's not a being out in the cosmos somewhere that, that can't be communicated with. God is real, and he's, the Bible says, closer to us than you think. 
He's, he's always within reach of every human being that will call out to him with a humble heart. Amen. Okay, so he looks for that communion, that true conversation where we get to know him. We know he's real and he's knowable. Amen? It is that fellowship. A relationship goes, a, a true relationship has to go both ways. Is that true? It, that's what, by definition, is what a relationship is. It's two people. If I know like I, I know, I'm going to make somebody up here, um, Bo Jackson. have no idea why that name just popped in my head, but Bo Jackson, okay? And some of you younger guys are like, who's Bo Jackson? You, you, all you need to know about Bo is he knows, right? Yeah. So, uh, so it's funny how the human mind works. I haven't thought of Bo Jackson in years. I got some of his baseball cards, but for whatever reason, he's the person that popped in my head. Um, he knows, but he don't know me, right? I mean, I know of him. I can know of his statistics. He played football, uh, uh, professional football and professional baseball, and so I can know all about him, and I can even talk so much about him that I might be able to convince you that I know him. But you go talk to Bo, and he don't, he, Bo said, I know a lot of things, but I don't know Dennis, right? He does, that's not a relationship because he don't, we don't know each other. A relationship is me and Jeff Conger. I know him. He knows me. Right, me and Steve, I know him, he knows me. That's, that's a relationship. And that's what God is looking for from every human being. Always has been. From the, the, from the very second that God created people, all in the world he was looking for was a relationship. I want them to know how much I love them. That's why I created them. And I want them to love me back. God, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where you didn't know anybody, you had no relationships at all? I know sometimes that sounds like that would be good, but it wouldn't be. You live, live a life where you, you know nobody and have no relationships. It'd be horrible. And God says, I, I want the relationship. I want to, you to know me, and I want, you, I want to know you. And so from the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, the very first man, from the, like I said, from the second God, breathed breath into the nostrils of mankind. The Bible says that God had a fellowship with Adam and Eve. In fact, and they, you don't have to turn to any of these verses. They'll be on the screen, I think. If, if Jennifer can keep up, they'll be on the screen. Because I'm going to read through some of these kind of quick. I want you to see the heart of God here, okay? I want you to see what God looks for from people, that relationship. And they heard the voice of, this is Adam and Eve in the garden. This is Genesis. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, amongst, from Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord called upon uh, Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Okay, so we know the whole thing. They sinned, they hid from God. But the point I'm wanting to make with this is that God came to talk to them, right? In the cool of the day. The indication is that God came and visited. They had a face-to-face, one-on-one relationship with God. That's what God always wanted from, from people. And then that was broken from sin. They could no longer look upon the face of God, but God never gave up wanting to have a relationship with his people. Amen? That's why Jesus died on the cross. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's look here with Abraham. This is in Genesis 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the lifetime of Sarah, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 19 says, for I know him. This is God talking about Abraham. Okay? I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken to him. God says, I know Abraham, and I know that I can trust in him. God spoke to Abraham. Then it goes on in verse 33. The Lord went his way, and as soon as he left communing with Abraham, 
Abraham returned unto his place. When the Lord finished communing with Abraham, what do we say communion means? It's to have a conversation. It's to have fellowship. It's to have a relationship. In Exodus, God says to them, to the people of Israel, uh, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Not on the cosmos somewhere, among them, with them. And God says, there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Then verse 18 of chapter 31 says, he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger, finger of God. These are just a couple instances, Old Testament instances, where God from the beginning of mankind wanted to have that kind of a communion relationship with him. So, but the, now here's the, here's the good news that in the New Testament age, after Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and cleansed us of all of our sins, now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to abide within us that we might have a more, in, see back in the Old Testament, they just kind of had to rely on a person to commune with God. You couldn't just go to God and pray to him. You had to find a priest. And even Moses had to go up on the mountaintop to, to speak with God. But now here's what the scripture says. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will, look at this, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That doesn't sound like a God that just wants us to be like a bunch of minions, you know? That doesn't sound like, to me like a God that really doesn't care anything about us. Jesus said, me and the Father, through the Spirit, will come and make our home in them. My indication this morning, God wants to know you today. If you don't know him, God wants to know you. That's all this is about. You know, one of the reasons that this church doesn't have a membership, a, a membership, an official membership where we have a book and you have to sign, you know, a membership role and, you know, give us like a blood sample and, you know, sign over your first kid and turn in your tax returns. And you know why we don't have any kind of official membership? Because our fellowship with God is only through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. That we're not looking, we're not looking for just some sort of, you can, you can have your name on 14 church membership roles, but that don't mean you're having communion with God. Amen. We want to make sure in this church that we are focused on what matters the most, and that is just your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you come to him, you're not, you're not just joining a church. You're, you're learning about the God that created you. You're entering into a relationship with the God that, that gave you breath. That's really what this is. And that's exciting. Religion is dull. It's boring. I'm out. But now... Under, getting to know God and watching God work in my life, that's cool stuff. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. amen. So through his spirit, now we have this relationship with God where he comes and he makes his home in us. And it's at the cross, which we sang about today. That's the meeting place between God and man. That's the meeting place right at the cross. Now we can't physically go back to Israel and to Mount, you know, Golgotha where literally Jesus died on the cross. It's, it's, it's where we go back in our minds and we, we see in that moment of time, all the time from the beginning of man up until the cross, people kind of had to deal with their own sins. They had to make their own sacrifices. And they met with God in a tent, and they met with him, you know, in the, the Holy of Holies, and I'm not gonna explain all that, but there was just, there was all this I had to go through. But at the cross is the place where we come and meet with God. God says, that's the point right there where your sins can wa be washed away and you can get to know me at the cross. Now, that brings us to Matthew chapter 26, verse number 17. 
says, now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after the other, is it, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who dips his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born, which was Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after he, excuse me, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it, a drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so what does all that mean? Here's the deal. We talk, we're taking communion today. Jesus didn't gather his disciples and say, okay, guys, we're going to take communion now. They were celebrating something. Okay, Jesus is using something to make a great illustrated point about what this is all about. Okay, so today in the church where we call it communion, but here's, here's, let me take you back to what they were truly celebrating. You go back into Israel's history, way back in the book of Exodus, and the nation of Israel, God's people, had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Can you imagine what it would be like to live as a slave, to live, to live under the whip of an Egyptian soldier every day of your life? to be ruled by a tyrant. Your life was miserable. And God comes and he says, I am going to deliver you out of that bondage. And so what we see in the comparison here is that sin feels very much the same way. That before we know God, before we have believed in the sacrifice of Jesus, we still live under the bondage and the pain and the suffering and the condemnation of our sins. And it's a miserable way to live. You fear you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you, you wonder what the future holds. You wonder what's going to happen to you when you die. Do you live in constant fear of this? Do you, you find yourself always wanting to do the, right thing, do the right thing and you can't do the right thing? I mean, all of these things that sin does in our life and God says, I want to bring you out of that. I, wanna, I want to do away with the power that sin has over your life. doesn't mean we become sinless, we never make mistakes, but I don't want sin to have power over your life. And so God says, I'm going to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And there's a whole bunch of things that happen. I'm not going to go into all the details. But the final thing, here's the, this is the key. The final thing God told the Israelites to do is I want you to take a lamb. Every Jewish home was to take a lamb. It was a yearling. It had to be a perfect lamb. And they would kill that lamb. And there was a certain night God said this, I'm going to send the death angel into Egypt and I'm going to slaughter all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. That was who was oppressing them. I am going to defeat your defeater, right? I am going to conquer your enemy for you and deliver you out of this bondage. So what you got to do is take this lamb and kill it. Take its blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. And as the death angel comes through town, when he comes to your house and he looks up where if he sees, now if there's no blood, he's going to enter in. He's going to kill the firstborn of that household. But if he sees the blood, he said, I will pass over that house and go on to the next one. That's why they called it the Passover. 
And so God delivered them from their enemy because of this blood. And so here's what happened. When, when the death angel goes through Egypt and he kills all of the Egyptian firstborn, including Pharaoh's firstborn, Pharaoh comes to the, to the Israelites and he says, okay, fine, get out of here. Leave my country. And so all the nation of Israel gathered together and they, they left. They, they, they were able to go and go be free. God said, I'm going to take you to another land and you, you're free now. And so you can imagine the rejoicing. You can imagine how excited they were to be free. That's why we as Christians sometimes act a little goofy. We're just glad to be free. We're not perfect. We're just glad to be free. I'm glad that I don't have to worry about what happens to me when I die. I believe that because of the grace of God that was shown to me through the blood of Jesus Christ, that my soul is secure in God's heart, in God's arms. And I don't have to fear the future anymore. That makes me pretty excited. These people were leaving slavery and they were excited and God said, I want you to celebrate this day forever. You go back in Exodus, and he literally used that word. I want you to celebrate this day forever. I want you to teach your kids about it. I want you to teach your kids. When, when you're, you're celebrating the Passover that, that night, I want you to tell your kids what I did for you, how I delivered you out of that horrible bondage every year. And they, so there's, there's actually two feasts. There's, there's Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, which the Jews literally celebrate every single year. That's what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples. And let me get back to that. But here's the bottom line. Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover. So here's the thing. It's kind of it's neat, I think, is that they were in such a hurry to get out of Egypt that they ate their bread before they put leaven in it. Now, if you don't know what leaven is, leaven is kind of like yeast. Okay, you make up bread dough and you put yeast in it. What does the dough do? It rises, and then once it rises, you bake it, and you've got nice fluffy bread. If you don't put yeast in it, it don't rise, you cook it, you've got a cracker, right, basically. It's just flat, nothing, not a lot of taste, it's just, it's just there. Well, so all of these ladies of Israel, they've got, their, their, they've got their bread lumps there, but they hadn't put any leaven in it, they hadn't put any yeast in it, and they were in such a hurry to get out of Egypt, to get out of their bondage, that they just went ahead, it's, they just went ahead and cooked it up and ate it just like that, without the, without the leaven. I can almost hear, you know, I, I picture it, of course, my mind is kind of twisted and demented anyway, but I, I picture it something like, you know, I don't know, like uh, some Jewish lady, you know, the, the, you know, the guy comes in and says, Pharaoh said we could go, get, get our stuff together, we're leaving Egypt. And she's like, well, Harvey, I hadn't even put yeast in my bread yet. It's not, the dough's not raised yet. Just cook it the way it is, we're gonna leave, right? They cooked it up and they ate it, and, from that, and it was a commemorating. Every year, they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover. They would eat bread that was unleavened and celebrate that day that God delivered them every year. So that's what Jesus was doing when he gathered his disciples together Again, he wasn't just saying, okay, we're going to do a little ritual here and we're going to have communion. He's, they're celebrating the Passover. They're remembering that day that a lamb died so that that household could be free. And Jesus said, this, guys, this right here is why I came. He's telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to raise again on the third day but I'm going to be killed, and this is why I'm doing it, so that you and every man, woman, boy, and girl who will believe in me can be free. So he gives them the bread, and he said, this is my body. Eat it. It was this body that represents 
this bread, I mean, that represents my body that will be broken for you. And when they took Jesus and they tied him to a whipping post, and the Roman soldiers, who were masters at torture, the Roman soldiers were masters. They used a whip. It was called the cat of nine tails. It would be nine different straps that would come off of it, and they would weave in those straps. They would weave in pieces of metal and pieces of bone. So it wasn't just like hitting them with an Indiana Jones whip or something. It was, they hit them with, and it was so this prisoner that's tied to the whipping post and they would come along and, and they, this Roman soldier so trained that they, they could do it in such a way where they would hit it and then pull it back. And as, as those pieces of metal and bone would dig into the flesh and they would, it would literally rip pieces of flesh out of his back. And Jesus endured that. He didn't sin. He didn't, he didn't, he was, he's God in flesh. He was perfect. He, he endured that for me. And Jesus said, my body is going to be broken. And that's what was happening. They pushed the crown of thorns down on his head. and My body's going to be broken for you. And so as you eat this bread, you're remembering and you're honoring me for what I'm doing for you, my broken body. As you drink this this wine, they would have been drinking wine. We're using grape juice. It doesn't matter what we're using. It's, it's the idea behind it, what it represents. Jesus said, this wine represents my blood that is going to be shed for you. We're here celebrating Passover for that little lamb that died at that point thousands of years ago so that it could set the Israelites free. But now today, it means something so much more. Now it represents my blood, Jesus says, eternal blood, God's blood that would deliver all of mankind, not just the Israelites, but all of mankind to deliver them from their sins. Hallelujah. What a picture. What a picture. What kind of God does that? Because this is what separates us. You know, that's what you've heard me say this a lot before. Being a, Christianity is not just a religion. I mean, there's a lot of religions out there, but you, I feel... Literally, before church, thought to myself, I probably need to change the batteries in my head mic. And I didn't listen to myself. I should know, but I, that's what happens when people don't listen to me. And I don't even listen to me. Um, um, you know, religions were, and, and I'm not here, you know, bashing any of the religion, but so many of them are, are based on how well you can perform or you know, this God wants me to kill these people or this God wants me. And the fact that the one true God, the God that created the heavens and the earth would love us enough to want to know us and would love us enough to want to die for us. That's why we sing songs like, you know, amazing. I think the song about, oh, there's so many Christian songs that has the word amazing. And that's why it's so amazing. That's why that one song, I think we said, I'm in awe of you. I stand in awe. Why would you, why would your perfect God do such a thing? Just simply because he loves us. That's why he created us. You look, you may not understand, you might not get all of this just yet, and that's cool. I, it, it, you know, sometimes some of these things, you know, it takes a while to learn and get it down. But one thing I think, if, you, if you've got any, any common sense at all, you can look around and come to the conclusion that there's a God. Amen? I don't have enough faith to believe all of this just happened. Some freak thing, it just happened. All of this exists, and I, we were created there's a God that created us. And so if that's the case, I can believe that. 
You can believe that. If you've got any common sense at all, you can believe that. And then I've got to ask myself the question, why? Why did he do it? He created me. Why did he create me? I'm guessing probably the same reason why my wife and I had children. Why do we have kids? You ever ask yourself that question? Yeah. <laughs> There's times we ask ourselves that often. <laughs> First time I asked that, Kelsey was probably about 24 hours old. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning, toothpicks in my eyes, standing at the, the microwave, eating up a bottle and thinking, did we make the right decision here? Right? You know what I mean? Why? Why did we just... Uh, she was worth it. Amen? We had children because we wanted to love them. There's something in us. We're just made that way. We're built that way. God built us that way. To want to love people and to want people to love us. We're built like that. And so the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. So if I had children so I could love them and they could love me, I have to believe that that's why God created me. So that he could love me and I could love him. That makes perfect sense. I may not understand every detail of this Bible and all that it, but I can understand that and that's enough. That's enough at least to get me seeking God. It's, it, it, it's enough at least to get me thinking, okay, God, I want to know you. Amen. I make myself available that you might know me. And he already does, by the way. He knows you. He knows us all. Better than you know yourself, God knows you. My goodness, I told you I wasn't going to preach long, but I could do this for another hour. Amen? I won't. Observe it forever. And I like this. I'm not going to turn there, but in, in Exodus, as God is telling them, I want you, you know, here you kill the lamb, you put it on the doorpost, I'm going to deliver you, and then I want you to celebrate this and commemorate it every single year. And the Bible says that, I love this, as God is explaining that to the Israelites, the Bible says the people bowed their heads and worshiped. <laughs> the people bowed their heads and worshiped. I, I, I would venture to say they didn't understand all, you know, how, okay, how's this going to go down? And, you know, we like to figure everything out ahead of time. And they didn't have all the details. All they knew was they had a promise from God that he was going to deliver them. And because of that, they bowed their head and worshiped. That's what communion is. It's worship. Amen? It's worship. If if, if Christ on the cross is not in your mind, if you're not worshiping Christ with your whole heart as you're doing this, this is nothing more than a pre-lunch snack, right? It's an appetizer. But we worship God when we remember. Jesus said to his disciples, do this in what? In remembrance of me. That's why we do this. And then as we come into communion with God through Christ, And then we, we follow him in baptism. I'm not going to preach as long on baptism as I did communion, by the way. But we follow him in baptism. Jesus came to the banks of the Jordan River, and people were being baptized by John the Baptist as they repented of their sins in preparation for the coming of the Lord. Amen? And Jesus comes along, and he was baptized. And he wasn't baptized because he had committed any kind of sins. He was setting an example for us. Okay? And... One thing I want to make very clear through all of this is I've talked about how that we have communion with God, but that we also have communion with one another, that we are the body of Jesus Christ. When we get saved, we're not just like this little lone Christian out here in the middle of nowhere. 
We become part of a body, right? All of us, children of God, part of the body. And so when we are baptized, you're not being baptized into this church. And I'm not, again, not slinging mud. Not, but I mean, you know, so many times it becomes, or you're being baptized into our denomination or into our church. And that's not what baptism is all about when you look at it scripturally. We're being baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. So in other words, as, we're, as these that have, are, coming to, are gonna come here after a while and be baptized, they're not being baptized into Crossway Fellowship Church. They're being baptized into the, the church of Jesus Christ that Pastor Tarsum in India is part of. Worldwide, every believer in Jesus Christ. And what we do, we, Jesus set that tone and then the, the Bible teaches us that we are identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus was died and he laid in the tomb, and then three days later, the Bible says he came out in the newness of life. That's what baptism symbolizes. It's that going down of the old man, that old person that didn't serve God. And I'm coming up a new person, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Not perfect, but a person who knows God. Amen. And a person who's going to devote their life to serving God and getting to know God better. That's what this is all about. Amen.